You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church or service times or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. We expect your Holy Spirit to be speaking to us today through the frailty of my words. So come, Holy Spirit, have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Could you open your Bibles or your electronic devices to Matthew 13? And we're going to have a look at verses 44 to 46. So it's Matthew 13, 44 to 46. Once you get there, just pop a finger in it, uh, something like that. So just a brief recap. Uh, if you haven't Check this out online, you can as well. Uh, you, can, you can listen to last week's message uh, online, either through Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, uh, on our website directly. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, we don't have cassettes, so sorry, but this is 2019, so <laughs> no CDs or cassettes. Uh, and it's free as well, you can go listen online. Last week, we began a series called Kingdom. And we're going to be running this through June and July uh, this year and looking at what the kingdom of heaven is like based on the things that Jesus has said about the kingdom. So what is the kingdom like? What are we talking about? And Jesus, you'll remember from last week, just a quick recap here, that Jesus changes expectations about the kingdom, about what it is. And uh, Because the kingdom, rather than being something geographical, it is God's rule, that is the kingdom, it is God's rule, God's way of doing things, that is his kingdom. Uh, and Jesus said to the Pharisees that the kingdom is in their midst, it's among us, it's, it's like Emmanuel, God with us, the word becomes flesh and dwells among us. Jesus is here and with him is the kingdom of heaven. And as John says uh, of this, the axe is at the root of the tree. This is John the Baptist. The axe is at the root of the tree. It is too close to ignore. Pay attention. That's effectively when John first popped up and said, repent because the kingdom of heaven is near. He's saying, this is too close for you to ignore, so pay attention. Jesus is here, and with him is the kingdom. King and kingdom. Inseparable but imperishable. King and kingdom, imperishable. Now, I said this on Wednesday night, forgive me for saying it again, but there are two kingdoms in this universe. There are two kingdoms. Now, every story seems to depict this in some way between the battle between good and evil, but actually it's a bit more real than that. There are two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of light, and then there's the kingdom of the enemy, the kingdom of darkness. And you will be a citizen of one of those two kingdoms. One way or another, you are a citizen of a kingdom that is not a worldly kingdom, either the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of heaven. And each kingdom has its own ruler. The kingdom of heaven has the king of kings, the king of all kings, Jesus Christ. And at the heart of the kingdom of darkness is the one who Jesus refers to as the ruler of the air, the ruler of this age, the devil, Satan, the one who is the deceiver, and that's really important that we know 
The kingdom of light is about truth. The kingdom of darkness is about deceit and lies. So let's have a look at this scripture. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field. Notice that it's not the kingdom of uh, it's not saying heaven is like a treasure, but the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. And by the way, the two terms, kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God, they're synonymous. Okay, and uh, later in the series I'll explain why you can see those two phrases as synonymous. So we are talking about the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid again, and from great joy over it, he goes out and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls, and upon finding one pearl of great value, he went out and sold all that he had and bought it. So in these two verses, Jesus is using two really short stories or illustrations to explain something to us that's really important about the kingdom of heaven. And there are a few things that we could draw out of these verses, okay? And some of you might have heard different things about what these verses could mean. Uh, we could look at the actual the hidden treasure and how that may relate to the hiddenness of the kingdom now. It's, it's like that now and not yet. We're living in a present reality of the kingdom being here, but to be fully inaugurated when Christ returns. And that's why you struggle with your flesh right now, because there's a done deal where you've been crucified with Christ and the sinful nature has been dealt with, and yet you know that you're still having a bit of a wrestle with that. So there's the now... It's the, the truth is you are set free, and the Son has set you free, and you are definitely free indeed. But they're not yet, because it's when he returns that that fully is seen. So we could say that the hidden treasure is like that. Um, we could say uh, that why was the merchant looking for a pearl? Why not gold? Why not a diamond? And, and we could look into why a pearl is significant, and I might briefly reference that later on. And some even suggest that Jesus was thinking of himself in these two characters. And that the treasure and the pearl represent Israel and the church. But actually, I think usually these stories have one overall lesson. And that's where I want to hone in on today. While there might be other bits and pieces to glean, I think the focus should always primarily be on the main point. So what is Jesus trying to get across in these two stories. So we find two different characters coming across two types of valuable things, and the treasure and the pearl, and they were of such great value that both the characters go and sell everything that they have in order to acquire the things that they've found. They recognise these things to be of such high value that it's worth everything that they've got. One character seems to have found it without looking, stumbles across this treasure in a field uh, by happenstance, and, and yet the other one seems to have been looking for treasure, looking for something, searching it out, and then when he finds it, he finds that it's not just a valuable pearl, but it's the most valuable of pearls. But he's looking for it. He's looking for something. And whether you're here today because you're intentional in looking for answers. You're searching something out. You don't quite know what it is, but you're looking for it. 
or whether you're the kind of person that's just kind of here because you're here, because somebody else is here and you feel like you should be here with them. Either way, perhaps you can't quite see in focus right now what this treasure, what this pearl is. Perhaps this thing that you're searching for or that you're not searching for. Kind of, you can see it glimmering like treasure in a field. You can see that there's something different about the way people are here, the way that they live their lives. But perhaps in the, the singing, you, you feel that there's something different there. It's not just having a community sing along. You can feel there's something more going on there. You, you, maybe you can't identify what it is yet, but you know something is different. So let me ask you all a question. What would be so valuable to you that you would sell up in order to secure it. What is worth it all? What is worth it all? Have you ever noticed the, uh, the adverts are designed to make you believe that this product will change your life? Um, it's it's going to free you up, it's going to free up time, it's going to make life more comfortable, make you more beautiful, perhaps it's not possible in my case, you know, I've already achieved, so I'm joking, <laughs> totally joking. Um, you know, maybe it, it tells you that you can hold back the clock. I see countless adverts about anti-aging cream and stuff like that, listen, there, there ain't no cream that's going to stem the tide, you know, this, this is not, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> it tells you, these product things tell you that this thing is going to make you happy, this thing is going to complete you, make life better for you. I've got some bad news for you, <laughs> okay? I'm really sorry to do this to you this morning, but here's a few things. So, Red Bull, it's not going to give you wings, okay? In fact, it's going to keep you awake, it's going to give you the shakes, uh, and it'll make your kidneys work in overdrive. So, Red Bull... Just a, a disclaimer should be on that straight away. A Mars a day, delicious, but it's not going to help you work, rest, or play. It will give you a massive chunk of your daily RDA, your recommended daily allowance of fat and sugar. It will, uh, it will give, make you hyperactive, or make your kids hyperactive, and it will rot your teeth. A Mars a day is not a great idea. Uh, ready Breck. Does anyone remember the old Ready Breck advert with the Ready Breck glow? And the kid walks to school and he's like, got a I don't know, nuclear kind of glow around him. This <laughs> is terrible. You know, it never worked for me. I think I nearly got frostbite because my mum honestly thought she could replace my coat with a, with a hearty bowl of lukewarm slop that I'd eat before I went to school. And it, it just did nothing for you. Burger King. You want it your way? I don't know if you remember that old slogan, you want it your way? At BK, you got it. No, I haven't got it my way, because my way is free. <laughs> that would be my way. My way would be, yes, I'll have a big backpack of McDonald's, but I'll have whatever meal it is, and I'll have it for free, please. So, you know, the customer's always right. Phones, shoes, cars, computers, gadgets, makeup, superfoods, all these adverts are designed to make you think, this is the thing that I've been missing all these years. I must have this. If, if only I could get that, then I would be happy. Things would be better. I'll, I'd be complete. Mm. Now, we can all see that this is a bit crazy in a thought pattern. 
But come on, we all know that that's what an advert has done to us at some point. Must have done. I mean, I love getting a new phone. I really do. And I get excited before it arrives. And, you know, I'll, I'll even try and, if it doesn't cost anything, I'll tick the box that says next day delivery or something like that. Because I just want it. But I tell you what, it's only about five minutes before I'm a bit bored. I've already learned everything there is to know about that new phone. And it does not live up to expectations. You know, a new car, Ken. Um, <laughs> Sorry, mate. But a new car, you know, I love a new car. And it can, it can last a bit longer in terms of your enjoyment of it, but ultimately, it's not going to satisfy you deeply. All these things are designed to make you buy the product. None of these advertisers want to make your life better. They don't give a fig about who you are. They want to make money from you. They want your wallet. And so they'll, they'll use strategies to try and get you to give up what's in your wallet. What would be so valuable to you that you would literally go and empty the bank account in order to get it? What, what would be so valuable to you that you would literally sell everything that you have in order to get it? It does sound daft, doesn't it? But listen, the only reason that some people don't own an Aston Martin is because nobody's crazy enough to loan them that much money because they know they're not going to get it back. That's the only reason, because if people could get the loan, if they could find somebody crazy enough to give them the money, they would go and buy the thing. I got into credit card debt when I was younger. And, and the reason was because it's easy. You, you believe the lie, firstly, I need this product, and then the credit card tells you, well, it's within reach. You know, and when I, was, when I was 18, I received the money from the trust fund that my dad left me when he died. And I think, I can't remember the exact amount, but I think it was around three grand. And, and this is going back more than 20 years, so that was quite a significant chunk of money. I could have put a deposit on the house, I could have bought a car, I could have you know, done X, Y, and Z. I spent the whole lot in eight weeks with nothing to show for it apart from this one ring which I bought uh, to represent my dad. I mean, that's, that's all I've got to show for that three grand, one tiny ring, which probably cost me about 60 quid because I'm a cheapskate. <laughs> Most of it went in the bar. Most of it actually went on trying to make friends because I'd buy the rounds. And for that eight weeks, I was the most popular guy in college. <laughs> Didn't last too long after that when I wasn't buying the rounds. Many of us will go to great lengths beyond our means in order to achieve what we think we want. And, and most of the time, we're still paying for that debt long after the thing was, that, that was worth everything broke or became a disappointment or ceased to function. And, and here's the thing, everything will disappoint you or leave you in debt or fail to fully satisfy you. Everything will disappoint at some point. And yet the kingdom of heaven is something altogether different. Now there's something in this, these stories that might confuse you into error because it looks like both of these guys had to buy the kingdom of heaven because they sold everything to go and purchase the field to buy the treasure in the field or to buy the pearl. They sold up everything and went to pay for it. That's a side thing that's not actually what Jesus is saying here. Um, the kingdom, it cannot be bought. 
It cannot be earned. And you've got to look at the whole of Scripture to understand that that's clearly not what Jesus was saying, was that you've got to pay for this. Okay? It becomes clear, though, that while the kingdom can't be bought and it can't be earned, it is worth everything. Yeah. Everything that you can give, all that we have. In these two parables, Jesus isn't suggesting that you, you can earn your way or bribe your way into heaven. Peter does not stand at the pearly gates with a register and he can't slip him a tenner and say, hey Peter, you know, I haven't, I haven't been following Jesus, I haven't believed in him, but now I realise it's a bit like I need this, so can I kind of pay my way into heaven? You can't do that. It can't be bought, can't be earned, can't be bribed. So you, you can't pay for your seat. Why? Because there's categorically no way that you could ever have enough in order to pay what it is worth. Not, not in cash, not in goodness, not in moral standards. You can never earn or make enough to qualify yourself for the kingdom of heaven. Never. So why did Jesus choose a pearl in this story? as opposed to a gold nugget, a diamond, something like that. I think it's because a pearl needs no improvement. It doesn't need to be cut. It doesn't need to be polished. It doesn't need to be melted down or purified to be beautiful. It is ready-made treasure. Perfect. And listen to this. You, you're not going to improve the kingdom by becoming a member because it's already perfect. But it's worth all that you've got. It's worth everything that you have. It's worth dropping everything for it. The kingdom is so valuable. You can't earn it, and you can't add to it. It's already perfect. You know, some of the best news, I think, is this, that the kingdom is already perfect, and that there's nothing that you can do to improve it, and yet also, because of what Jesus has done, there's nothing that you can do to, to ruin it either. Because it's his kingdom. And that's good news. Because people used to say to me things like this, if you find a perfect church, don't go to it because you'll spoil it. <laughs> they weren't just having a, you know, hanging on me or anything like that. That's true. Like, if there was such a thing as a perfect church and any one of us went to it, we've already reduced the standard there. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> So, so there's no, there is no such thing as the perfect church, but there is the perfect kingdom. It's the kingdom of heaven, and you are a citizen of that kingdom if you have Christ. The next thing is that the kingdom, as I've said, is worth absolutely everything. That's the main point of these two stories, that the kingdom is so valuable. It's worth everything that we've got in our banks and in our lives. And what we see of these two characters in these parables, it's not this cost to be achieved to gain the treasure, but that the value is so great. How many of you have watched Dragonstone? Any of you watched Dragonstone? Some of you watched Dragonstone? It's a show, basically, where you get four billionaires that sit at the front of this panel and they have people come and pitch business ideas to them. And if they, they'll scrutinise it, they're like dragons, they're pretty harsh on what they say. Um, and if they like it, they'll invest in that business. They'll pour some of their own money into it to make it work. But listen, they always, there's always a, a clear path to making a buck themselves. They're not going to invest in something that's going to lose them money. Uh, if you watch it, you'll know there's this guy in there called Theo Pathetes. Uh, he's you know, one of the most popular kind of dragons on the den. And he often says things like, 
I don't get out of bed for 5%. In other words, you better be offering me more return for my cash. Listen, the reward and recompense for the kingdom of heaven, for selling up and giving everything for the kingdom of heaven, is so overwhelmingly huge that I cannot put it into words. The reward for saying everything I have is yours. The way you would get paid back. And we don't do it to get paid back. We do it because it's so valuable. If this was a Dragon's Den contract, there would not be enough paper in the world to write down all the benefits of finding the Kingdom of Heaven and becoming a member, a citizen of it. Because when you become a child of God, you become a citizen of Heaven, you share in the inheritance of Christ. And what's His inheritance? Everything. Everything. All things. Everything. Everything. We care so much about the 5, 10, 15, 20,000, whatever that we've got in our bank accounts, our savings, our pensions. Yeah, I know, I think of that as <laughs> 30 quid. <laughs> it's, it's incomparable to the riches of the kingdom of God. Incomparable. Paul manages to say it in a couple of sentences. He says, um, in Romans 8, he says that the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we might also share his glory. If we unite ourselves with Christ, he dwells in us through his Holy Spirit. Spirit, we become heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Therefore, everything that is due to him is also due to us. And we get to share, yes, in his sufferings, but we share also in his glory. And Paul goes on, and I love this about Paul, because he really takes it a step further. He says in Philippians 3, 7 to 11, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, rubbish, that I may gain Christ and might and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from obeying the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Remember I said last week, you can't earn this. You, you can't uphold the law enough to qualify to become a citizen of heaven. You won't pass a citizenship test that way. So it's by faith in Christ. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. You know, there's a thing here that people will tell you, and it is true. The word there that says rubbish. There's a lot of speculation over what the Greek word is that Paul used. Some would say it's garbage. Some, some would even say it's, it's worse than that. He uses a word that's like dung. Almost, almost swearing. He, he wants to get a point across that I consider everything else such 
utter junk that I want to use the absolute limit of my vocabulary in order to get the point across that everything that I have is basically dung compared. Now, more than Paul, Jesus wants you to know that the only thing worth it all is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven is the thing that you've been looking for, whether you know it or not. It is the thing that you've been looking for. Whether you're like the guy that knew what he was searching for or the guy that just stumbled across it, the kingdom is the thing that you could and should sell up for to take. There's no investment you can make into the kingdom that could be misappropriated or misspent, like some dodgy kind of pension plan. I remember a few years back, everyone's pension plan got ripped as they went to Iceland or something like that and got ruined. The kingdom of heaven, if you invest in it, is far safer. It's completely safe. There's no crooked bankers. There's no dodgy politicians. The kingdom of heaven is secure. There's no way that whatever you invest in there will ever get lost, however tough or lengthy the financial crisis is. Jesus says in Matthew 6, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy. Earthly treasure is perishable and vulnerable, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves, invest in treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy it and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Listen, the treasure is the kingdom. And remember, as I said last week, king and kingdom, inseparable. So invest treasure in heaven. It means to invest in the things that the king finds valuable. You want the kingdom? Then you want the king. If you want the king, then you want the kingdom. They're together. King and kingdom, imperishable. So, to wrap this up today, two kind of questions. Firstly, what is so valuable about the kingdom that it's worth giving up everything that you've got for? And there's a few things I could probably list this in a massive thesis or something like that, but listen, if you seek the kingdom, you find the king. And Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added to you. So that's the first value of the kingdom. That if you seek it, you don't have to worry about anything else. If you make that your number one priority, then everything else falls into step behind that. If you, if you wake up in the morning and you set your agenda of priorities differently and you put something else ahead of seeking the kingdom, then it's going to not lock up together. Your day won't work well. If you seek first his kingdom in all things, every day and every minute, every hour, every decision, seek his kingdom, you will find it and everything else will fall into place. And remember the king calls you friend. It's a kingdom of salvation. The, the price of the kingdom, the price of citizenship is shed blood. That's the price. And Jesus has shed it on your behalf. So he's paid the entrance requirement for you. It's free. It's a gift of grace. It's undeserved. There's nothing that you've done to earn this. There's no price that you can put on it, but it's worth everything. And in the kingdom, you, f you find your value. You find your meaning. You find your purpose in life within the kingdom. 
These are things that people talk about a lot these days, finding their self-identity, being who you are. You know, this is me. You will not be satisfied. When you peel back the cover to look at who you are, you will not be satisfied until you find yourself in the kingdom. And the kingdom's citizenship brings you into a family. A weird family, because it's made up of all sorts. We're, we're different races, different kind of backgrounds, different social standings, different ages, different preferences, likes and dislikes, different hobbies, different ways of speaking, different character types. Sometimes we really rub up against each other and it's kind of painful and a bit like, you know, running your fingers down a chalkboard or something like that. It's kind of great, but you're part of a family. You're part of a family that also, because of the king, is imperishable. You don't even need to worry about whether we grow as a church or not, because he said, I will build my church. It's his. It belongs to him. And what does giving look like? My second question as I close, what does giving everything look like? What do I mean by that? What's Jesus getting at here when he says that these two characters sold everything they had in order to buy the treasure, the treasure being the kingdom? It looks like this. It looks like everything that you have. Holding it lightly and willing to surrender it. It's not saying you need to go out this morning and transfer everything in your bank account over to Riverview Church. That's not what Jesus is getting at here. But having this kind of position where you've already given it in your mind, having this kind of position where your kingdom, God, is so worthwhile that I consider nothing that I have, firstly, to be of any worth, and secondly, in comparison, and then secondly, it's all yours anyway. So, holding everything lightly, willing to surrender it, having already given it in your mind, joyfully, for the kingdom and for his purposes. It looks like an honest desire and a passion to get to know him more. Invest in time, in pursuit of seeking him. Be intentional about that. Invest in seeking first the kingdom of God. King and kingdom, inseparable. Seek Jesus, seek him, seek him daily. Seek him out, you will find him, and you will find that your life makes a whole lot more sense when you do. And it looks like this, every bit of time, morning, noon, and night, 24-7, 365 days a year, have everything open-handed. God, this is yours. This is yours. Every bit of your effort, every penny that you have. Again, we're not asking you to pour every penny, empty everything into Riverview. You have commitments, we get that. Jesus gets that. You have responsibilities. You have to pay for food and things like that. That's fine. We have a society to live in. We need to be good examples in that society. That's it. But, but I give it because it's his. And I put it where I need to put it because it's his. Every relationship that you have, every hope, every aspiration, every dream, everything. Open-handed. It's all yours, Lord. That's what it looks like to go and sell everything that you have in order to gain that treasure, that pearl, which is the kingdom of God. It sounds like a lot. Let me tell you, it's still not enough to earn your place. You're still totally dependent upon his grace. Is that not worth everything? <coughs> what would it be worth if you knew you were going to lose your life today? 
If you knew that today was the day, somehow you knew today was the day, something was going to happen that would claim your breathing, claim your life. And I was able to say, hey, I know that this is going to happen. Let me step into that place for you so that you can live on. What would that be worth to you? What would that be worth? Would you, if that were true, would you consider looking after my wife? Would you consider helping to settle my financial affairs? Would you consider that because of that you would then choose to live your life slightly differently moving forward? Would that be meaningful to you in that way if I could step in and say, instead of you losing your life today, I'm going to do it for you? Whatever your response would be to me as a person, this is exactly what Jesus has done for you because you should have been hung on a cross. That's really offensive, I get that. But, but our sin is so shameful that death is the payment, blood is the payment. And Jesus paid it, hung on a cross for us. He literally stepped into the gap at the point where you were to be dead. He stepped in and said, no, I'll take that. So that you can carry on and live. How are you going to respond to him? That's the question of the kingdom and it's free. It's free. He didn't say to you, look, if you do this, this and this, then I'll die on the cross in your place. He did it and then says, now what's this worth to you? What's this worth? Because I've done this freely, you can have this for free. We just bow our heads. Father, your grace is overwhelming.